0: Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts, Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. All right, welcome to a special edition episode of the Trail and Hour podcast. Uh, special in that there's no guests, it's just me and Jay. Hi, Jay. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. It's, um yeah,
1: just, just me and you today. So we actually get into the weeds with with uh, an upcoming project that we both won, an upcoming race that we're both doing this weekend.
0: Yeah. Um, the fact that there's no guests means we're probably slightly less likely to interrupt each other um, to ask questions, since it would be weird if we're simultaneously asking questions to one another Uh in the same conversation it means that we're pretty bad at talking I'd say if that happens <laughs> we can give it a go I'm sure we can oh, I'm sure we can mess this up there's a number of different ways that can happen so um, we are both in a race the, the way this the way this episode's going to work is we're going to release it after the race and it's going to be a splicing together of two recordings um, one of the one of which is taking place about 4 days before the race which is on the 30th of May And the other one's going to take place in the week following. And so the benefit of this for, from a listener's perspective, we hope, is that you get to hear about the race, our kind of hopes and aspirations, um, you know, hear about the course, what our plans are for it, nutrition strategy, um, the training we've done, and then immediately get to hear the sort of debrief process, hear about our war wounds, our struggles, um our successes and and you know a recap on how things went and so we can directly compare and contrast you know what we planned on doing to what actually ended up happening on the day i'm sure they're going to be exactly the same (laughs) it's always the case right i mean these things always turn out exactly exactly how you plan them to the letter so um do you want to start by sort of introducing it's a new race in the calendar um um, do you want to talk a little bit about the course? Yeah, for um, sure. You've run it, you know, a few times, and I've run bits of it and a few times as well. So it's a race called the Southwest Traverse,
1: hosted by Mud Crew or organised by Mud Crew Events, down right down in our home turf, and it essentially runs from the most southerly point of the UK mainland here in Cornwall all the way around to the most westerly, around a huge bay called Mounts Bay and ending up on a a, a spit of land called Land's End. So it starts at a a great name place called The Lizard. Um, It's a very undulating course. Um, The the nature of the Cornish coastline is that it's um, scattered with bays, it's littered with bays that you descend into on quite steep hillsides and and climb out of on equally steep hillsides. So you don't really get – we talked about the coastline before down here and you don't really get to rest your legs on – certainly for the first 20-odd miles, you're pretty much constantly up and down. And so you're really... Um, it's hard to get into a rhythm as such for a lot of this race because you 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 also know that there's a sting in the tail. And so you run for the first 24 miles on Coast Path uh, up to a beautiful um, castle on an island called Mounts Bay. Uh, sorry, Mounts Bay called right. St. Michael's Mount, um, which... Curiously hides itself away. It's a huge thing, and it hides itself away until almost you're a mile away from it, and then suddenly it appears. And then there's um about a seven or an eight-mile section of road on tarmac, which parallels the coast all the way around um, through places like Marazion, Penzance, uh, Newlyn, out to a, a lovely little fishing village called Mausel. And then at Mausel, there's a, a mother of a hill going up out of it. Uh, and then you hit the coast path again. And then it's coast path for a few miles into a, a bay called Lamorna. And that, I mean, I've spoke about this at length with other folks, but at, at La Morna, the race really starts. It's 10 miles from the finish. And you, um, you actually lose the coast path for a, a couple of hundred feet where it's just bouldering. Uh, and then you pick up the path again. And then it's just never ending ups and downs. Some quite steep couple of hundred feet. Uh, Descent into valleys and then climbing out the other side so it really tests you uh, there's there's lots of variety um r- r- huge amount of different terrain and um all packed into 44 miles
0: so yeah that that's roughly the course as i've always seen it yeah i'd go along with that it's a pretty good description the the interesting bit about it i think is it's it's the sort of race of two halves um, you know the first half is up and down coast path and, and a lot of that first half is actually you know all right runnable trail and there are some big climbs kynance cove being one of them which isn't that far from the start actually um you know a few bits with steps in and that sort of stuff but actually it's pretty decent running along that the, up the sort of uh, western side of the lizard there as you, uh, you head to both towards port levin and mara zion and then you get to this flat bit um which is is basically road, although I believe there's a small section of it that's going to be on the beach um, because there's some some works going on. So I think we've got about a kilometre of soft sand beach running to throw in there too, which is always fun. Um, and then there's this second half of the race as you get to Mausel and you're back on the worst part of the coast path for this particular race. Um, and I would say, actually, the bit between Mausel and the Morna is dreadful as well. Um, it's very technical, very narrow, very winding. It's the sort of coast path where... you're you're sort of clambering around, dodging around rocks and roots and up and down these sort of steep climbs and descents, but at the same time having to duck your head from the the overgrowth that's sort of coming over above you. You're like a kind of wild rabbit descending into this sort of muddy, rooty, ghastly tunnel with the most amazing views all around you. Um, And, of course, it happens at a point in the race around about, two thirds, three quarters of the way through when you're you're often in a sort of headspace where you're like, Jesus, what the hell am I doing here? Um, you know, will everyone think I'm a loser if I quit at this point? And that's when you're faced with this this really tough section. And um, I think you're right, Jay, that for anyone running it, um, the race does begin on that last third, really, um, because that's when it's really going to start testing your metal and your, you know, your willpower to just push on, even though, it's only about 10 miles
1: but if you i I think it's it's because of the preceding tarmac section certainly for me you you feel like you can open up a little if there's no headwind and really Mm. you know you want to gain a little bit of time on this easier terrain and i always feel it sucks out because you're in trail shoes as well unless you're lucky enough to have a crew that's going to change into road shoes which is a little bit odd but i know people that do so do you think it's cheating? Ah man It's got get, <laughs> not getting to train a um but as you kind of charge across that that uh, section of tarmac if you open up too much, I always feel like it sucks the energy out of my legs and then you get to the other side of it and and then of course you go like you say you go back into this mega technical trail section um mm-hmm. and it's yeah i think I think that's part of it I think you you open up on the tarmac. And then straight into this the hardest ten miles of it, and um,
0: yeah, I think that's probably it. I think I agree with you. I think the pacing that you choose on that Marazion to or section, which is mostly flat, mostly tarmac, is very important. And I know um, my brother Jamie, who who won a very similar race to this um, last year in September, he he. Puts part of it down. Well, his nutrition was the issue. He couldn't get food inside. Um, but he puts part of the reason for that down to excess energy expenditure on that flat section, just pushing out, you know, slightly too fast splits to the point where his body was like, hmm, you know, you've been running for four, four or five hours and now you're doing this to me and then you're expecting me to go up hills and absorb carbohydrates. Not happening, I'm afraid. And the carbohydrates came back out again. So, um <laughs> Yeah, it is It is important. And there's a temptation, I think, especially after sort of, like you say, 24 miles running on Coast Path, which is reasonably slow going. And, you know, your your, your split times are depressingly high. There's that temptation to start clawing it back and bring that average pace down as you get to the flat section. But you've got to be mindful of this, you know, reasonably horrific section of Coast Path that's coming up. And La Morna, as you say, Although, you know, it's so unrunnable, that that bit out of a La Morna, I almost think it's not worth putting too much pressure on yourself when you get there because you are simply climbing. It's clambering. Uh, you cannot run that section uh, at all. Although it only lasts for a few hundred meters and then you're back on decent coast path. Yeah, decent. I think it's that point
1: where you turn around there and it certainly catches people out the first time they're running this um, as you come round that corner out of the bay there in Lamorna that the the path just disappears and you've got to have hopefully if you're running it for the first time you'll you've seen somebody kind of taking the path because otherwise it looks like you're in some kind of scene from um the hobbit where they're stood in front of a giant mountain with no gate in front of them it's like oh you've got to change around the letters on top of the sign and, and get the moonlight just right and then the path will appear um so if you're lucky enough to see... Don't, don't stand around waiting for that to happen because they ain't going <laughs> to. You may <might be> time <laughs> out if you're waiting for the moonlight, although on the arc, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of a, one peculiarity for sure. And if if you're not a local and you've not run that section before, it's it's always good to recce it. It, 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 it's, it pays itself back. Um, and, you know, that's... I think that the opening up on the tarmac is, is crucial. You've got to watch your pace. Um otherwise, yeah, you you it's almost like you feel like you're a sprint you're in a sprint finish. And then yeah. at the end it's like, Oh, and here's another ten miles um of, of horribleness.
0: It would be cool if the if the race finished in penzance actually. And it was like, you know, you release people off the coast path and it's like, right, go. Yes. And you kinda of got a five to ten K race to the finish. That would be <laughs> a funny ending. Um but it's not the case. So, and then and then the other thing I'd say is probably about the end, which is quite cool because you about five miles from the finish, you have the Minak Theatre, um, which is uh, an incredible spot anyway. But these this long set of steps that climb up to the Minak, which are very draining in themselves, and then there's this this five mile stretch of, I don't think the coast paths too bad there actually, and as you get closer to Land's End, it improves um, continually. And you you get to see Land's End from a couple of miles out, and so the finish is very much in sight from from a from you know uh, you know fifteen twenty minutes before you get there, and so that's there's that sort of carrot there at the end that's sort of luring you in, and I think because it's visible, there's you know you do have that sort of temptation to speed up and think right a minutes away now let's 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 leave it all on the coast path and, and finish in a in a crumpled heap. Uh, there is those um, or there are those. Uh,
1: the false Land's End as well, as as you come out of Penbertha by the coast station, where you see the white buildings and you go, well, there's nothing else out here. It has to be the Land's End Hotel. And and no, it's not. Uh, Fake Land's End. And and after you go through um, Penbertha as well, there's there's a spot where the path, the coast path, actually takes about seven different variations, which is great when the weather's lovely, but I've run that race when it's been a bit claggy and foggy in the summer. And um, if the fog comes in, you you, you kind of struggle to see – unless you know, you struggle to see which is the right path. And they're all kind of right. One of them takes you a little bit close to the edge. Um, but, yeah, it, it does kind of – it has some variety in it, some sections where you can choose a longer or a slightly shorter route if you don't want to stick to the official GPX file. Um, some mm-hmm. of them will bite you in the ass. but um, Yeah. Yeah, and then you know, as as we said before, this is it sneaks in and out of bays. The headwind is always changing. You're an exposed spit of land right at the end of the the country, no the county, world. the world. Yeah, it ends. There'd be beasties here past the ciliars, and mm. um, so the headwind is always changing. If there's a wind, um, you're in the sun all day. If it's a sunny day, you're exposed on the south coast, so that has a huge impact on people's hydration plans uh well before we get into that but that um yeah you're kind of heading towards it and then you're heading away from it and then you're heading towards it so it's never as the crow flies there's always um another bay to take you a little bit further inland or out out to sea and then back again so yeah what you see is not what you get
0: yeah right well let's talk a little bit about our own individual um goals aspirations what we let's start with training what have you done anything different in terms of training to your sort of normal routine in preparation for this? Well I'm
1: training for a race in August at the moment that's been my the the big race that I've had on my calendar for the last um, year or so and and that's out in Chamonix so I've just been whacking in the hills relentlessly for the past 16 months I've not really done anything flat maybe one or two runs with some flat sections in it with a little bit of tarmac but everything has been Local mining trails or coast path, um, just getting up into the 20s, just over the 20s, sometimes in mileage. Um, and then, yeah, just just bringing in the hills because that's, that's what we're running on, up and down and up and down and, and slightly technical in places. But like you said, mainly solid, um, compacted coast path mud trail, basically. So lots of that. Increase the yoga. Um, throwing in lots more yoga these days because I'm old. Um, and my recovery times go up every time I do something. So, uh, and I've just been, yeah, just kind of hydration, increasing my hydration slowly. Um, just getting ready to take a little bit more water in terms of what I'm carrying. Cause it, it this race has checkpoints every 11 miles, two, well, three checkpoints and, and the start and a finish obviously. And so they're predicting 16, 17 degree temperatures, uh, low wind. So it's going to be a hot day. Going to get through plenty of electrolytes and water, so um, been carrying a, a full race pack mostly for the past year anyway. But just whacking in some extra water, so I've got a little bit more self sufficiency on this one because obviously me and you run races at very different paces, and uh, I'm going to be out there for probably two hours longer than you. So from that perspective. Um, I'm going to be... You need more water. Need more water, exactly. <laughs> need to be a, a, a camel. Um, so yeah, other than that, it's just deciding which pair of shoes and that's probably come down to um, the Evo Speed Goats now. So I'm, I'm, I'm nestled into those. I, w- I was playing around with some lovely Innovate graphene-coated things. Uh, yeah, little- what are they like? Hand on my heart, not as good as I expected. And then maybe my expectations were too high. Um, they're a comfy enough shoe. Uh, they smell like a new car, which is weird. Anytime you're in a room with them, it smells like you've just bought a new vehicle. Um, oh, well, there's value in that for sure. Exactly. It's worth the money just for that. So maybe I'll just wear them around my neck. Um, but yeah, I'm going to stick with the... Just
0: put them in your car. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Make sure you put them in your car if you're going to sell your car as well. It's a great idea. Probably ask a little bit more money. Free trainers and a better smell. Um, so yeah, I'm going to stick with the um the, speed goats, the Evo Speed goats and just checking out some extra kit. So really, it's um although it's a race in its own right, and I'm and I'm treating it that way. I'm hoping to come in between nine and ten hours, based on what I've been doing in training. Um, so yeah, an, a nice steady day, um, mm. pushing it a little bit on previous years, but but a nice steady day nonetheless. And then just yeah, building towards Chamonix. So it's a, a forty-four mile coast race that that's a, a long training run, effectively.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, I think that sort of distance, if you're training for sort of 100 milers or 100K, I and mean, let's make no bones about it, it's going to be a tough race because of the the terrain, but you can use those sort of distances as a very long training run to sort of test out, um, you know, race protocols and nutrition and shoes and, and fitness and all that sort of stuff. Um, especially, I think because it's a new race as well, perhaps there's a little bit, less sort of pressure going into it to go right i need to you know run this thing damn fast as i can because a lot of people and, and also post pandemic a lot of people are just so happy to be out there and it, it can just be a really fun day on the trails especially as the weather as it looks like it's going to be uh is is good yeah
1: i think so i think a lot of people uh like you say um stepping up their mileage for the first time in a long time and and again a lot of people do use these races to kind of prepare themselves for some of the longer ones they're doing. We've got another mud crew one coming up in uh, August which is the the plague which is or the rat weekend which has varying lengths of uh, races including the 64 mile plague and the bring out your dead and all the horrible stuff we spoke about with Ferg. So people do use it as a way to kind of say hey okay 44 miles on the coast path pretty similar terrain to the rest of Cornwall quite you, you can get a bit of everything how do I perform um, and then you obviously speed goats like yourself are going to be heading out and hopefully setting a
0: new course record for a brand new race. Yeah, well, I, I think whoever wins is going to set a new course record exactly, but sort of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is some precedent on uh, ex- expected times of running this thing, but um, I, yeah, I well, um, and what's your I'll plan? tell you a bit, about, yeah, yeah, my plan, um. Well, as always, I think um, it's good to have a tiered approach to uh, your goals so that um, even if things go badly wrong, you, you've still achieved something. Um, but um, I'm, I'm aiming to finish in under seven hours, um, which uh, is not going to be easy at all. Um, but uh, that's the sort of top, top goal. Um, and I guess sort of below that is under seven and a half hours and then you know finish would be the <laughs> probably tertiary um, level of that goal structure um, because you never know things can go wrong can't they I mean injuries and total exhaustion and it is going to be warm I mean none none of us are, unless you're you know from a different country are you know are currently accustomed to running in those that sort of warmth you know all day most of the day and Um, you know, all the hydration stuff that, that comes with that. So that's my, my goal. Um, you know, there's some fast, I know there's a few fast runners that are going to be competing. Um, so that's, that's great. You know, it's good to have, um, some, some other fast people, um, on, on the trail. It's a, it's, it's a bit of a shame. There's going to be a staggered start, isn't there? Um, yeah. start. COVID means we're all going to be setting off in, in more of a time trial fashion again than a, than a true yeah. race, which is tough because you know if you if you're vying for a podium position, you never quite know uh, you where your standing is um, because there could be someone who set off twenty minutes after you who's been slowly catching up with you through the course of the race um and you know, e- equally there could have been someone that set off in front of you who you you didn't know they'd set off or whatever and you never quite catch up with them so it's t- even when you finish um it's going to take some time to know where you where you sit in the standing of things
1: yeah i mean that's that's new to us all isn't it in the last year mm-hmm. unless you're a time trialer um, and i think my my personal feelings i we, we're going to see quite a few bunches of runners on this we're going to see you know the 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 fast the intermediate and and the tail enders all Kind of grouping together for the first ten miles or so, and then then they'll start to fragment and split as people's race plans, you know, go up the shitter or um, mm. you know just just changing as as they always do. But um, I, th- mm. I I'm thinking you're right. I think the weather and the hydration. Every time these races are run, um, you'll see people underestimate how hot it's going to be in those bays where you're sheltered from the wind and they've been sat there all day. Do you remember the one that we went across at St. Loy where we, where we kind of got it right, but cocked it up on the arc with all the giant rocks? Mm, mm. Um, you know, that's, that valley around there, that that's a heat sink. You go across yeah, there like and that. you really feel like the, the rocks have soaked up all the sun all day. And you're in those stagnant air kind of valleys for quite a lot of those last 10 miles. And it's almost the worst place to have it. So hydration is is going to play a huge part of it. If you dehydrate a muscle by 3%, you lose 10% of its potential output. Mm. And that's a huge loss when you're thinking, you're carrying that weight. It's muscle tissue that's not going to be able to contribute to your day. Um, and, and you know, if somebody walked up and gave you 10% of your muscle weight across your body and put it in your backpack, you'd probably tell them to sod off. But yeah. if you don't look after the muscles on the day, then everything you're carrying in suddenly at the end of it becomes a bit of a drag. So hydration is going to play a huge part of it for sure. Um,
0: yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm sort of. I'll just t- briefly talk about training from my point of view. I haven't really trained very specifically for this race, although the last few weeks I have loosely followed a sort of 50 mile training plan and more more to kind of make sure I engaged in the taper um, rather than just sort of running straight through the taper and, you know, not turning up to race day rested. Um, But what I will say is that my training plan has not been very specific to Coast Path. I haven't spent a lot of time on Coast Path in the last few weeks and the trails I've been on have been relatively flat as well. Um, Although I have done some hilly road running Um, around here probably lacking some of the training on steps i mean everyone always underestimates there's a lot of steps on the coast path and a lot of you know if they're not if they're not you know laid man-made steps then that that same mechanical process of stepping up takes place on a lot of the rocks and climbs and things like that so um i'm slightly concerned that i haven't haven't put enough time into that kind of terrain but it's a double-edged sword training a lot on the coast path because it exhausts you um meaning that you you know you're not necessarily able to put the training volume in it also massively increases the risk of injury as well it's far easier to get injured on those sorts of courses so you know we'll see how this works i, I mean in, a, in, a, in one sense i'm sort of framing this as a test to see whether actually you're better off not spending too much time on the coast path as as part of a training plan but putting a little bit of it in there um so that you can maintain that volume and then you know, you get there and you spend one day putting a lot of effort down, and you, you you're exhausted uh, at the end of it. But you know, you the, you get the results you want because you've not been thrashing yourself to bits on there. Well, it's better in weeks to be leading up to it's better
1: it. to be undertrained than overtrained for sure. Um, and I'll be doing yeah. a blog post for the for the podcast at some point soon about overtraining, overtraining syndrome, and mm-hmm. the science behind that. But um, I'm saying that on mic so that I have to do it. Um, it, it's um yeah it's always better to be slightly undertrained because you can dip into the the willpower tank if you need to but if you're overtrained there's no going back you know mm. you can't undo overtraining uh, not not in a race anyway and and i think there's some certainly if you're familiar with the coast path there becomes a point of um there becomes a point where the value of it training like you say constantly on coast path is lessons it's not as impactful anymore on you. Um, and you're using the same muscle groups again and again and again. So nice to give them a rest and have a bit of variety in, in your training, you know, technical trail, non-technical trail, and rather than hammering those same muscles relentlessly. But if you're aware of what the coast path is, you've also got in the back of your mind all the time that, you know, how hard it can be and how, how much effort you need to put in. So knowledge of it is fantastic and, and, and the experience running on the trails is, is great. But constant, like anything, is is a little bit too much. I think personally, especially when the conditions get ropey.
0: Yeah, the knowledge is definitely useful. Knowing when I get to the top of this climb, I've got you know a few hundred meters of easy downhill, and then another climb that's shorter, and then some steps. And and having that sort of being able to recall those next steps and and sort of managing your effort level appropriately, rather than it just being guesswork. But um. You know, I, there's bits of this course that I don't quite remember. Some of the stuff between Lizard and, and Porth Levin, I'm like, mm, I'm not sure I can totally remember what these bits look like. I'm sure they'll come back to me when I'm there. Um, but I feel like I've got a reasonably good good knowledge of it. Well, I think the last time um, we both ran it was in the dark, wasn't it? Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, 16 it months been the, ago or so. Yeah, it would have been the arc. Uh, yeah, I've run bits of it. I've run... Um, I've run the Penzance through to Land's End section a few times when I was training for the Arc 50 that never happened this year. Um but I haven't run the Lizard section I don't think since since the Arc of Attrition. There's a lumpy um, section I- just after
1: 11, and that's I think 4 miles that is worth noting. Um Yeah. and and, that, and then it
0: kind of eases out again, but yeah. Mm, mm. Um shoes wise, um I mentioned your 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 shoe options. I'm yet to decide. We're because it's been very wet here for the last month, and certainly if the race was today, which is the 26th, so four days beforehand, I would be running in winter trail shoes. Probably, uh, my Saucony Peregrine 10s, which I think are a great, great winter trail shoe. My only Have you gripe got- with them is that I've got them, yeah. You've got the yeah, STs yeah. or the standard? Mm, I think it's the standard ones, okay. Um, uh what's the difference uh the st is a
1: a really luggy model i actually love it it's my favorite winter shoe ever but the peregrine 10 is still
0: a fantastic winter shoe yeah that's what i've got the peregrine 10 Uh, anyway uh, whatever um it is a good shoe now uh that's what i planned on running the arc 50 in and it's probably what i'd run the arc of a you know whatever winter winter trails um but we've now got four days of what appears to be virtually no rain and increasing temperatures. And so I'm interested to see how much the Coast Path dries out in that time. And I have on standby, and this is going to divide opinion because I know some people don't think much of this shoe, um, Nike Terra Kiger 7, mm. which is a wonderful, lightweight, racing trail shoe. The problem with it is, is it isn't very sticky when it comes to wet rocks, mud and ro- wet roots although in my opinion nothing sticks to wet roots uh so if find me a trail that sticks to wet, root, wet roots and i'll pay you anything for it because they're, <laughs> they're slippery um so i'm i'm gonna assess the situation on saturday and probably head out to a, a bit of more local coast path and see what the terrain's like underfoot because if it does dry out and compact enough then um then i'll run in the nikes and and, t- and take that risk because certainly when you get to the flat section as well a shoe like that is going to be a lot faster um, than, than something like the Peregrine 10 you will need the grip for that last 10 miles though I think mm. you know
1: you've got yeah. those little valleys where you go up and down and there's lots of slippery rock with watercourses that are still going to be discharging water um, and mm. I think that last 10 is where you'll want that grip
0: yeah that's a good point and then you know or maybe it's a case of doing a shoe change at Maizel. Um, because by that point I'll obviously know what it's like underfoot, and then can make a call as to whether or not it's worth doing a shoe change. And I've got through that flatter, faster section in the Nikes, but you know, anyway, if, if I if I head out to the Coast Path on Saturday and find that things are pretty damp still, then I'll, I'll likely go with the sacconis I think I think things are going to dry out. I think the, the Coast
1: Path is going to dry out quite nicely. I think it's uh, mm. compacted quite a lot, so the water is going to trickle off a lot of the muddy sections um the compacted stuff on the first half for sure so yeah it's uh i think you've got it spot on with the nycron actually mm.
0: last question um what are you planning on doing nutrition wise because i know I mean, it's, it's, it's not a very long race but you have you've had issues in the arc which this is basically the first half of with nutrition the last couple of times so if you are you trying anything new or is it sort of revisiting old thing what's, what's the plan um Plan this year.
1: I'm taking a couple of um, baked potato and avocado wraps in Ziploc bags. That's going to be my hill snacks. Um, always good to chug in something like that when you when you're putting in a long climb and you just need to get some nutrition in. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll probably space those out at around around the first and second aid stations. Get those in um, and then intersperse with some mountain fuel gels um, and also lucho Delitos. I'm trying those for the first time, so I'm using it as an opportunity. Again, to train with some new nutrition for um, CCC, really. I want to see how my body reacts to those. And that is my plan for that race. So this is really going to be a proving ground. So yeah, sweet potatoes and avocado wraps, maybe some chia seeds in there as well. Uh, cut in half, stuffed into a Ziploc bag. I love two whole wraps. So four, four bits to eat. And yeah, the, the mountain fuel gels and lucho delitos kind of scattered around. It's always that thing of how much do you carry You know, I'm trying to do this one self-supported. My wife's dropping me off at the start and picking me up at the end. And apart from the aid stations, I'm going to try and run this one, um, just me out there for the day and see how it all goes.
0: Nice. All right. Well, good luck with that. I'm interested to see (laughs) whatever happens. If if, if, I see it again, I'll take a picture of you, of of it for you, sorry. (laughs) Well, yeah, whatever, I love whatever happens we'll definitely have something negative to say about whatever food it is we put in our bodies, because it's almost inevitable that you're at some point going to feel crappy after consuming some, some, some form of nutrition. And then, you know, you, you, you're like, oh, I'm never doing that again kind of thing. Um, <laughs> what's your plan? That's interesting. My plan is very simple indeed. Um, no, no solid food. I mean, I, I've been following a, um, low carb, high fat diet for, nine months now and have really personally seen some great benefits to it in that I can run very long distances fasted, um, and, uh, and very long distances without taking on any carbohydrates as long as it's low effort. Um, and you know, like an aerobic effort. Um, so it means that I, I don't need to take on as much fuel during race because I'm just naturally burning fat as a fuel, um, primarily Although that does shift as as the effort level increases and you bring in some more of that anaerobic effort, um, but it, 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 what it really means is that I'm 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 defending muscle glycogen, um, and obviously that's a very finite resource. Um, I don't want to be tapping into that too early on, um, so I, I won't take on. I, won't, I will start the race fasted. Um, I won't take on any fuel at all, probably for the first hour, just water and electrolytes. Um, and after that, I'll be just going liquid only tailwind um, for the remainder of the race. My plan is to carry that in a, quite a concentrated form in my bladder, uh, not in my like not in my piss bladder. <laughs> <laughs> but in a bladder, I'm, I'm I don't tend to race with soft flask anymore. I prefer to have the weight on my back rather than ah, the front. interesting. Um, yeah, purely a weight thing or. Yeah, it's, just, it's purely weight distribution thing. Um, I kind of like it. I don't really f- seem to feel it so much on the back, whereas the flapping around of the flask on the front, not, not a fan. So um, I have sort of reverse the pack. So all of the, all of the mandatory kit, which there isn't a lot, will be in the front, um, and then the, the bladder will be in the back. So, yeah, concentrated tailwind, somewhere between kind of normal tailwind dilution levels and a gel, basically, in okay. the pack. So carrying very little water um and i am fortunate to have my mum supporting me is going to meet me near aid stations with electrolyte water so uh, and and backup backup um you know sugary fuel backup tailwind in case you know i'm running low um i will take on something like 30 to 40 grams of carbohydrate per hour um and uh which is is a lot less than most people consume i mean that's only 120 to 250 calories an hour and i know there's people out there who are trying to put down 300 400 calories an hour um you know it, first of all i don't imagine i'm going to need more than that uh because because i'm using fat uh and secondly i don't want to put more in than i need because that's just likely to leave sort of gastric problems, um, you know. Which, which is, you know, it's something. There's a mad statistic like fifty percent of DNFs in some way related to to um, digestive issues, and so to to remove that as a as a problem and to, to be able to run freely and not have to worry about oh that gel's not sitting well in my stomach or I need to get some solid food down. Oh my god, I wish I hadn't eaten solid food, you know, all that kind of thing. So, and this is this is a short enough race um i think that solid food doesn't need to factor into it for me um you know i recently did a track effort that lasted the best part of six hours and got by absolutely fine at a pretty high intensity with just um you know carbohydrate in, in fluids um so we will test it out this is different of course because you know in the climbs and descents your you're right, your heart rate's going right up and then right down and it's sort of ping-ponging back and forwards like that and so defense of that muscle glycogen is even more important because you're using it right from the get-go as you start doing these big climbs and steps and everything so uh, you know I've I've run the coast path with this fueling strategy a few times and it's been fine but let's see what happens you know in a seven-hour effort um, or perhaps more uh, you know This is the beauty of uh, this podcast format because we're going to stop recording very shortly, and then um, our listeners are going to find out very quickly as to how successful. It's full of crap. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
1: Uh, Cool. That is the cool thing, though, because this is—you know—trail running is always an experiment. No two races are the same. Environmental conditions change. Your body changes. There are very few things that you can hand on your heart say forever that that works for me um yeah and so it's important to i think keep pushing your boundaries and uh, and trying new things in a controlled environment where you can and say that worked for me that didn't um and that's all part of the fun for me
0: sure good stuff right um i'm excited to sort of listen to the final edit of this because right now we don't know what's going to happen um are we going to do, do it in the pub
1: at land's end <laughs> <laughs> maybe not the
0: best uh, quality, the you know? audio quality would be even worse than usual then well the benefit um, for me is that you get there two hours ahead of me
1: so I'm expecting a table and a pint oh mate I'll be back home in bed by then oh come on
0: <laughs> what, not a on that. Um, no no um, we'll see um, we'll, looking forward to it yes, Cool. Um, right well good luck Jay and, and you mate um, yeah, let's debrief in around about uh, 10 seconds shall we say <laughs> <laughs> see you in a second see you in a second Right, here we are. This time, 24 hours ago, we were both still running the uh, Southwest Traverse. Um, We're now on the Monday morning after and ready to do a full debrief of the day's events. Um, I've got a list here, Jay, that I want to go through. So, um, uh, But I want you to start um, by perhaps describing the conditions out there on the course yesterday because... I think that was something that played a major factor in, in everyone's running. Undoubtedly. Um, it was very
1: it was very hot. We were on the exposed southern coast um, the whole way around in, in the sun. The sun moved around with us, so we were kind of all baking. But um, I think the main thing is it wasn't massively, massively hot in the scale of even other things that we've done, but mm. it came on the back of a very cold spell of weather and I think maybe just an element of acclimatization going from the cool, rainy period that we've just had into this baking hot, blistering day, I think that played a factor for almost everyone on the course. I don't think anyone had an easy day yesterday.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think being unaccustomed to sort of... Like you say, it wasn't that hot. I mean, I think it was somewhere around about 20 degrees Celsius, but very little breeze. Um, Although, it has to be said, what breeze there was was mostly a tailwind. Um, which is good for speed, but not so good for cooling you down. You really want wind blowing in your face um, for that. Um, and yes, it's, it's, so it's not being used to the heat, but then it's also not being used to the quantity of water you need to get through yourself to stay hydrated. And that is something I think that does improve with practice. You know, you condition your body to accept litre after litre of water so that it doesn't cramp up and doesn't feel uncomfortable um, when you're moving around over really tricky to tri- 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 train. terrain, it's tricky to say as well. Tricky terrain. <laughs>
1: <for> well, <laughs> <laughs> it has such a knock-on effect, though. If you're, you know, we've talked before about how if you dehydrate, it affects your muscle performance. Mm. But don't forget things like metabolism. You know, you can't digest food as well if your stomach's in, you know, in distress by lack of uh, hydration. And yep. and I saw a few people yesterday who bonked, who were really struggling to to get nutrition in. And I don't think a lot of people necessarily put the two together, um, especially in the heat of the well, excuse the pun the heat of the day, the heat of the moment when you're at the moment, yeah, your, your mind's all over the place, and all you're trying to do is not get it on your shoes. Um, so yeah, there's a, definitely a correlation, a proven correlation between uh, being well hydrated and being able to metabolize food. And on those distances,
0: if you're not fueling, then then you're you're going to run out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so how, moving on from water, how did your nutrition strategy go, your food? Did you manage to keep everything down? Okay. Did it, did you feel uncomfortable with it? Actually really well.
1: Um, the one thing I, so I was using uh, sweet potato, uh, wraps, um, and just chugging those in on the longer climbs, uh, just out of some of the coves, just taking the opportunity to recover a little and, and get some nutrition in and then mixing it up with some mountain fuel the new mountain fuel jellies uh, that they released recently and then lucho delitos which i love but it was a little bit too hot for them yesterday mm. um it, they were a little I've, bit too sweet
0: and sticky i've never tried them before but they're sort of like jelly texture are they
1: yeah they're, they're like um a cube of, of of almost crystallized jelly fuel um right. very very tasty lots of different ones with um caffeine and all that other stuff but they were just a li- it was a little too hot for them yesterday i really struggled to get those in
0: Yeah, I so as we mentioned in the pre briefing, I did fully just um, tailwind um, didn't have anything solid. And I carried that just in in my bladder on the back. So I had one litre of highly concentrated tailwind that I just sipped from occasionally. So it was sort of somewhere between taking a gel and and having um, fuel in your liquid. And so that was always there, always carrying it. And then I, I topped up of water at various stops, quite a lot of water. I actually had a bit of a nightmare near the start of the race because I had um, my crew, which consisted of my mum and my brother, shout out to Rach and Jamie, um, supposedly meeting me in Port 11, which was my first cruise stop. I, I was pretty confident I could get through the first 21, 22 kilometers without needing to see anyone, um, which would have been fine, but there was a, road traffic accident just outside Porth Levin. They didn't make it there. Oh, no. So I ran through Porth Levin Harbour and I had to just, well, I didn't want to stop, didn't want to slow down. So I just kept going and then I managed to make a phone call while I was running and they they met me about five kilometres on, what's it called, Rancy Point, Rancy R- Head? Rinsey Head. Head. Rinsey yeah. Head with a big um, old tin mine there. Yeah, um, It's it. a lovely spot actually. Um, but by the time I got there, I was, I was very dehydrated and glugged down about a litre of water which also contained electrolytes and then took a soft flask with me but after that I started getting stomach issues just because I I just put so much into my stomach all in one hit in in future what I'd probably do there instead is glog down less like stop myself and just take more water with me so I could sip it to top up as I go because it's just too much liquid to put in in one like in like five seconds you know
1: yeah. I mean, it's it's a trade off, but I mean that happened to you on the worst place, I think. On that first half of the course, the four miles after Port Eleven, I think, are some of the lumpiest going, you know, up to yeah. Rinsey. So yeah, that it couldn't have bum, happened in yeah. the worst place. Um yeah. yeah, I mean it's always it's it's you, you you have to balance that that weight versus speed and versus resources mm. don't you it's, it's a constant juggling act
0: well and also i mean you, i mean you're carrying the weight if you put a liter inside yourself uh you know you don't have to have it inside your stomach at that moment although it feels like you do you could carry that weight in a soft flask and you're still carrying the same amount of weight <laughs> you know? yeah yeah uh, it's it's, just, it's all on your body or in your
1: body it is going to use when it's in you though i always think when i get into a checkpoint i want to have my flasks drained because i've carried them all that way yeah you know yeah, it's a waste
0: that, otherwise yeah yeah, yeah. You, you've just worked harder for no reason yeah, it is going to use, but then I figure I'm not going to absorb a liter of water into my body in the space of ten minutes. It's going no. to sit in my stomach slowly. So why not put in, you know, the 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 per, the amount that is going to sort of almost immediately have an effect, and then carry the rest for for you know a mile or two and slowly put that in? Because it did, it did, it, it's it was the start of sort of stomach discomfort that really lasted with me, with me for the rest of the race. Um, I was kind of hoping I'd wake up this morning with a six pack because um, (laughs) I was tensing my stomach muscles so much throughout the second half of the race that it really felt like a serious abdominal workout. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Footwear. Uh, We we talked a little bit about this in the pre briefing. What did you wear in the end? I can't remember. I went with the Evo Speedgoats. And that was good. They were almost too grippy. In fact,
1: I've just been chatting with Jamie on WhatsApp now, um, your brother. And, um, send their almost because it was his recommendation and they were mm-hmm. almost too too grippy by that I mean on some of the the rockier sections after Lamorna um, when my foot was catching the edges of some of the narrower passes on the rocks they were they yeah. were they were hanging onto it and turning my foot Yeah, yeah. so that, they were awesome shoe uh, really really good shoe I made a rookie mistake by uh, dunking my feet at Prey Sands um, just in a stream and then completely mm. forgetting um, I had wet socks and shoes on because it was just so hot. Um, but yeah, so I got, I got a small blister um, on the underside of my foot and I stopped in Newlyn and got some micropore tape just on it and, and that
0: didn't develop any further. So the shoe, awesome. What, what were you using on the day? So I went with the Terra um yeah. as, as mentioned before. And it, the, I mean, the coast path was bone dry wasn't it bar you know maybe a few hundred meters dotted around the place which are a bit boggy or, or some wetness but it was extremely dry as dry as it really ever gets i yeah. would say um and so i'm really happy with that choice because grip wasn't the most important factor in a shoe um for me it, it, it what i needed from a shoe was well some grip um but lightness and speed mm. and comfort which unfortunately i didn't really get i how so uh, besides the stomach cramps the other main thing i had to contend with was um, discomfort in my feet i already had a couple of big toenails that were on their way out um but they're really on their way out now they've basically been levered up throughout the course of the race and they weren't quite ready to be um and then on my left foot don't know why it was my left not my right but i've developed a couple of pretty serious blisters as bad as i've ever had my big toe is sort of 50 percent bigger than it should be um And so I'm hobbling around today, but it's really nothing to do with my legs. It's my feet. Um, They're they're really sore. So um, I I put that down to three factors. Uh, One being the shoes are quite new. I've only run, I think, about 40K in them. So I'm just not used to them. And that's, you know, I I knew that going into it, that it wasn't going to be ideal in that sense. Another thing would be uh, the heat. Um, you just don't get a chance for your feet to cool at all. And I can totally understand why you would want to dunk your feet in a river because I was tempted to do that at times. And when I did come across boggy bits or wet bits, I was like, should I just linger around here a little <laughs> bit and let, let my feet kind of give you bathed in this water? Um, and then the final thing would just be that I haven't done a great deal of coast path running over the last couple of months. And there's not there's nothing quite like the sort of lateral movement that you get both in terms of your lateral movement of your body but also the way in which your feet need to work on sort of bits of uneven terrain and it means your feet slide around left to right and that's fine like if you run on the coast path a lot you condition your feet to that and you you know they just build up a tolerance to it but mine have not had that sort of conditioning over the last few few weeks or months so those sort of three factors all played into my feet feeling pretty uncomfortable and and really quite agonising at times when I kicked a stone and I now realise that I was kicking it with a blister. Um, Always fun. So yeah. So but in a sense, I'm like, hmm. Normally, I I don't allow myself my, allow my body enough to recover after these sort of events. I tend to be sort of running two days afterwards. Whereas this time, I'm going to have to because uh, my <laughs> feet are sore enough that I won't be running till next weekend at least. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what a full rested five days feels like after a, an effort like that.
1: It's um There's a great book that I read um, talking about toenails years ago when I first started ultra running, and it's by a guy called John Von Hoff, and it's called Fixing Your Feet. And this guy basically says, if you follow my routine, you won't lose toenails. And I've never lost a toenail. In fact, I had a patient come to my clinic one day and I was, um, I think I was in flip-flops, which is a really bad, bad, bad thing, by the way. Um, But he looked at my feet and went, you have all your toenails? I said, I do. And he went, have you not been running? It's like, no, I have. I just have I've figured out how not to lose them now. But yeah, it's um, that's an it. awesome book. I think it's on Kindle for like nine quid. But um,
0: Fixing Your Feet by John von Hoff is a bit of a, an ultra-runner's Bible, actually. Um, oh, well, I will lo- check that one out. It's definitely useful for me. I think I've lost my big toenails three, or f- this will be the fourth time, I think, on both of them. Oh, um, definitely! What I will say though, when you get the new one come through, it's the hardest, toughest, most resilient toenail <laughs> you've ever encountered. The, I, I, there's nothing as strong in this world as a as a freshly spawned big toenail. <laughs> well, it's evolution, right? It's going. I need to. <laughs> something went wrong on the last toenail. I need to be better. <laughs> um, um, cool. So have you, uh, results. Um, I didn't win. Spoiler alert! I didn't win. Um,
1: somebody else took that mantle. Um, yeah, how did you feel crossing that line, man? We should say
0: you 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 came first by a country mile yesterday. Yeah, I was super chuffed. Um, well, I mean, you know, the nature of this particular race and the staggered start line means you're never quite sure whether you've won, even if you are first to cross the line. Um. I finished in six hours 51, um, which was comfortably under the seven hours that I targeted that we talked about in the, the first part of this podcast. Though I must say, I, I, I quickly felt that seven hours was going to be tougher to achieve once we'd started because of the heat. Um, you know, I, I personally think that anyone running that race could probably knock another 10, maybe 20, maybe even half an hour off their time if the conditions were that little bit more forgiving, little bit cooler, um, because it really factored into it, especially as the race drew on. But nonetheless, uh, I'm super happy with the time. Um, I, I, I went into it knowing that Jordan clay was going to be, um, a, you know, a real, real competition for me. Um, shout out to Jordan. Cause, uh, I know he listens to the podcast while he's cooking. Um, not while he's running ironically. um, Jordan's such a quick runner. He has so many course records and um, segment records on Strava around here. He's won races with unfathomable times. The, the KVK being one of them, I would say. Um, his time around that is just—I can't. Even, I don't even know how he did it. Um, so I was—I was nervous about racing him. He's faster than me over short distances, without question. But you know, he's—he's he's less tested on longer endurance runs. So going into this, I um i i knew i had to had to really tire him out at the start um somehow so that i could then hopefully maintain as much pace or effort at least maybe not pace because no one's keeping the same pace on that last section because it gets so tough towards the end but same effort level right through to the finish which i did manage to do the way in which i did that and well it you know it it obviously worked in the end because i did beat jordan um but the, the, the in my head the sort of strategy was to set off before him and what i hoped that would do is frustrate him enough to try and chase me down so that he was more likely to become tired in that first half of the race and whether he got me or not i would then my hope was be able to pull away towards the end now i, I think he set off about 20 minutes after me yeah again. he
1: set off at the same time as me so about 20 okay.
0: minutes yeah um, and he never caught me. Um, I think he did make some ground on me in the first half. I, I don't know for sure all the timings and everything. It's quite complicated with all the checkpoints. But um, by the halfway point, I was starting to pull away from him again. And, and um, I, as I understand it from my crew, I managed to continue to pull away towards the end. So he did finish about 15 minutes behind, well, f- 35 minutes behind me, but 15 minutes in in the actual timings of things. So yeah, it, it went really well. Um, I'm, I'm super happy with the performance. It was really hard. Um, you know, I, there, there were genuine moments where I was thinking, God, I feel like DNFing this. Uh, it's, it's such a slog out here trying to run at this pace in this heat. Um, but I had a great crew and I had, you know, Jamie and my mom were saying, giving me updates on Jordan's position and, it was sort of around the halfway point where I learned that I was starting to pull away from him. And that was a motivation to keep on going because God, what a silly thing it would be to throw away a race when you're in first position and accelerating away from the person in second. So that, that was enough motivation to keep me going, but it was, I mean, some of the um, pedestrians I encountered, and by the way, that's another factor (laughs) that played into this race as well, (laughs) because the coast path down there was as busy as I've ever seen it. Heaving Um, yesterday. Oh God, it was heaving. And, um, Yeah, there must have been people that I stumbled past who thought, God, we need to call an ambulance for this guy. He's he's dragging himself up this cliff and on the the brink of death. Um, But, you know, you knuckle down, and it's funny to sort of laugh about it now because it's just about fresh enough that I can still put myself back into the level of suffering that was experienced, and it was hardcore. I've probably suffered as badly on this race, I think, as anything I've ever done um the arcs are more sort of drawn out slightly lower intensity of suffering whereas this slower more painful death yeah exactly but 44 miles even if it's on the coast path i want to try and be running as much of that as possible and so when you're putting yourself at that sort of level of intensity it's nasty um so what about you anyway um because you thing is I looked at the ranking I looked at the um race results this morning. You came 27th out of a pack of 200. No way. Um, I haven't even seen the results. I've I've had a bit
1: of a mission this morning for other reasons, but I haven't even seen the results yet. So, uh 27th. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think that's
0: put you in upper mid pack lower what, r- r- like whatever you call it. Race still mid
1: pack. Still mid pack. <laughs> definitely. I can't can't give up that. Um oh that's that's amazing. Um yeah, yeah I, I my my plan was for sub nine. And, and like you say, I knew um, within about five miles that that was going to be a really tough ask yesterday with that heat. You could just mm. feel it. And and knowing what it feels like in the early hours of the morning or the, you know early morning, um, knowing what it's going to be like on the back end, I actually thought, do you know what? I really, really need to hammer the first half before the temperatures get too high. Yeah. So I worked, I, I gave everything on the first half twenty four twenty six miles and and felt good and then my my nemesis the 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 section across the promenade, the road section, if you like the tarmac section that really bit into me as I knew it would I dialed back a little bit and and then um I had a a, a bit of a low ebb uh, somewhere after La morna for about forty minutes. I think I was in a bit of a funk, just just slowing down um yeah. feeling feeling it was all very labored and then I picked up a second wind and um, and felt good right to the end. So I had a fantastic day out. I loved it. I had to do, um, Stephen collared me and uh, Stephen Cousins collared me for the media crew um, just coming through Penzance. So I had to give an interview there. <laughs> well, how long did that last? Like half an hour? Oh, at least. Um, <laughs> and then everyone was just so lovely. And of course, I have a, a, a fairly distinctive uh, facial hair thing going on. Mm. And so it just felt really rude after not seeing anyone um for so many months, over a year now. Yeah. It felt rude not to stop and chat and, and have a, a word and so it while it wasn't a social race, it definitely and it I it definitely slowed me down, but I'm not sure that it adversely affected me because it gave me a few breathers. Um so I didn't I made a rule yesterday I wasn't gonna take many pictures at all. I think I took some at the end on the GoPro. Um but I think yeah, potentially, and as an overall performance, those kind of sections where I did slow down for a, for a chat with the odd folk, uh, the odd person, that that probably didn't take away too much. So I came in, I think, nine hours, 51 or something. So I just made the sub 10. But yeah. for that heat, unacclimatized to it, I think I'll take that quite happily. Yeah, totally, totally. And, yeah. and like you say, it reflects in the field. If, I, if, a, if an old dude like me came in 27th, then I'm very happy with that.
0: Yeah, I, no, I think that's an. I, that's. I mean, I know there's. There's. A, I, I saw a few sort of Strava posts and Facebook posts of people sort of feeling slightly disappointed um, with their times. And, God, I just think no, it's so difficult to prepare for that kind of heat. And um, anyone who even got around it, to be honest with you, is is fair play because that last bit when you're sort of in the mid afternoon heat and you're on really tough terrain that's pretty much unrunnable and you suddenly see your splits just plummet you know Mm. it's taking you twice as long to get through a single mile or a kilometer or whatever um it's it's really soul destroying um to all that hard work you've done all that running and then to be clambering along and thinking oh my god i'm only you know 10 miles from the end but this is going to take me two or three hours. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, um, it's a bit. It, it messes with your your mind, obviously, doesn't it? You
1: you you have that expectation of where you want to be. And I was running on a, two settings on my or two screens on my watch, one showing um, my current pace and one showing my average pace. And I knew where I needed to be for nine hours on my average pace. I needed to do twelve minute miles, I think it was, um, and I could see it creeping up. Uh, the average pace started to get over. It was twelve ten. Then it was twelve. You know, it's like, oh, come on! But mm. like you say, you can't, you physically can't run any faster on some of those sections. It makes yep. me wonder how we do it
0: on the Arc. In all honesty, yeah, I know it is uh, crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I got to Newlin, which is uh, what two thirds of the way through. Mm-hmm. It's even coming up to three quarters of the way through uh, in four hours. I think my <laughs> my average pace was five minute kilometers through that all of that and then, um, then, everything just slows right down, you know mm. um it's uh it's nuts and it, and, as I said already the the number of walkers didn't help with that because you're on some very narrow coast path um with not and the passing places are rubbish and yeah somebody has to to yield don't they somebody has to give somebody has to yield and everyone's very nervous of course because of covid too um so you are trying not to upset anyone too much although i do have a certain sort of mentality of like don't put yourself on a very narrow coast path if you don't want to be near people you know this is very true (laughs) (laughs) perhaps you didn't count for a sweaty breathy runner but you know (laughs) or or 200 of them (laughs) two hundred exactly yeah um cool well uh, so, just to sort of summarize, let's list each of us list sort of th- things that went well and things that didn't. So, try the, the, the errors and the and the successes of it. What would you say with the the great sort of wins of the day and the success side of it? What went really well for you? Um, the feeling of
1: uh, the feeling of power that I had in terms of my legs and everything. It just validated my training over the last you know twelve months without races. It just felt. I I could push where I needed to where I could push everything that was runnable I ran mm. um and and that felt really good so huge obviously fingers crossed we we're off out to Shamini uh, for CCC um and and that was what I was looking for from that race I wanted to know where I was in yep. race conditions so absolute massive plus on that one still grinning um and negatives um <sighs> None, really. I don't actually. If that sounds, you know, funny, but there were no negatives for me yesterday. It was a tough day out. Um, Maybe um, just the drenching of the feet was probably the one thing uh, Mm. that that caused the blister. Uh, But other than that, I couldn't really put my finger on too much that went wrong. It was it was a really good day out. I really enjoyed myself in that weird, horrible, you know, torturous way. and you what 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 would you pick out as the best thing from yesterday
0: um i would say putting my kind of nutrition the whole nutrition project that i've been doing for the last 9 months to test and seeing that it works um i mean i cal- calorie counted afterwards and i only took in something like 800 calories and wow. I, and i ran fasted in the morning so i would i would normally have eaten twice that by in in, the, in a normal day just sitting around yeah um so there's no doubt in my mind that I was burning predominantly fat for that entire run. Um, now, on a on a slightly cooler day where I did not have to put so much liquid inside me, I think that would have really benefited my stomach. Um, but you know, that was unprecedented. The amount of I've, I think I drank about six liters in seven hours. Um, yeah which is just an enormous volume of liquids put through your body so um that would be the great success because i was unsure whether this whole sort of um high fat low carbohydrate um nutrition plan was going to work well on coast path where your heart rates you know occasionally sort of up to sort of anaerobic kind of levels and then dropping back down i knew it worked well on the track because i've already tested it there um but it, it seems to be it seems to be effective so that went really well and then i think probably i'd have to say the shoes um would have been the annoying factor but i sort of knew i was letting myself in for that and my feet weren't great nick before i even started so i, I i'm not I'm not entirely surprised that they're um painful as they are today um so there's a lesson to be learned then i really need to try and f- lock in a sort of really comfortable lightweight trail shoe i need to i need to speak to our friend lloyd Purvis, maybe <laughs> see what his recommendation is
1: well, it's um, it's the difficult thing, isn't it? Because you're trading comfort for speed sometimes, and and mm. it is get the two are coming closer, I think. Um yeah. And and it it's such an individual thing, but yeah, I mm. mean that there will be that shoe out there for you, mate. It's um, yeah. it's it's just a matter of, of like you say, locking it in and finding it. Um, mm. but winter winter and summer both
0: being different as well. Of course, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I definitely wouldn't run in those Terra in the winter, um, but they had. Just the right amount of grip, really, for yesterday. As you say, you can sort of, you know, that little bit of, of slip can sometimes be useful on certain terrains because it's sort of...
1: Well, something slipped. gives, doesn't it? And, and yeah. yesterday I was feeling that my ankles and knees were under a huge mm. amount of loading on some of those rocks because the shoe was staying and I was the one that was slipping, you know, if yeah. it, if that makes sense. My, my yeah. knees and ankles were adopting. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, I would like to see what, how they behaved in slightly wetter conditions those evos cuz they were literally trail glue yesterday but i think yeah it's um having a
0: little bit of slippage might not be as crazy as it sounds yeah for sure so um i think shout out to mud crew for getting a race oh, out there man. what and, an um,
1: what an amazing achievement yesterday just so yeah. smooth um from start
0: to finish yeah. what a great day out that no, was wonderful um all of the checkpoints all of the marshals and there were a lot of marshals out on that course mm-hmm. yesterday tons of them um <laughs> my experience with my crew events is they tend to like not not to give you too many well especially in the arc not too many marshals because you don't want to see a smiling face at three o'clock in the morning um <laughs> because that might make things a little bit nicer for you um but uh, there were tons of marshals out yesterday everyone smiling everyone being really helpful towards the end they were saying do you need anything and i was like yes it's to be over i think i used that response about half a dozen times Uh, but um yeah i mean even under sort of certain covid restrictions and the staggered start it felt like a proper event and it was just wonderful to see everyone i i i to to your sort of point earlier about you know doing the interviews and having a chat and and spending a bit of time i next year i'm going to run this race again um but i'm going to pay someone or you know um sweep or something like that because I'm just I I feel like I'm missing out on so much of the event by beasting myself through it, and I want to stop and talk to everyone and smile and have a chat and comment on the course and everything, and and not you know just feel like right I've got to move in. I st- I I stopped for a total of six minutes yesterday. Wow, that was it. Um, yeah. So it was. Uh, it was relentless and um yeah I'm looking I'm really I'm looking forward to doing more races in the future where I can just switch off and go cool this is just going to be a nice day on the trail you know
1: uh, yeah, I think it, it, it's a very different experience. Um, obviously, we're not going to swap places next year. I'm not going to go out and, and smash it in seven hours and,
0: and you can do my nice <laughs> plodding 10. But um, I'm not saying you you were plodding around <laughs> just having conversations because I know you are putting <laughs> it in. I think I'm, I was. Thinking, I'm thinking I might do a 10-hour or 11-hour Southwest reverse next year.
1: Yeah, or something yeah. like that. Oh, I mean, yeah. the, you know, the other events, I think those looped events that people do, the Hope 24 and things like that, are a bit more social because you can kind of, meet up with people doing the same pace and have a bit of a chin wag and stuff like that. So it's a very, you know, you, you are you are a very competitive person and, and it must, you know, I can imagine Stephen trying to rugby tackle you to the ground to have a chat. But, um, Other than that, you're going to push through because you're driven. Um, Every
0: time I saw him uh, yesterday, he was just sort of starting to get his camera set up. And he was like, oh, no, I've missed you again.
1: (laughs) Well, on the plus note, we had um, so many people tell me um, how much they're enjoying the podcast, which is lovely to hear. Really, really nice feedback, people. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was
0: lovely. At the start line, at the finish line, and even someone, I swear, i ran past someone who said, hey, Tris great podcast (laughs) (laughs) uh, and I was like thanks
1: that was such a nice thing to hear Um, and and that people have given up their times to listen to me and you have a a bit of a chit chat with people is is a really nice thing so thank you very much for all the comments yesterday
0: yeah for sure and on that note unless you have anything else to say I think um, that's a wrap for this Southwest Traverse special edition episode
1: I think so we both enjoyed it it was a great day out very tough but
0: yeah wouldn't wouldn't change a thing cheers mate Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.